As AI's capabilities swell like a rising tide, will we master the waves or get pulled under? Welcome to this week's episode of the Creative Ops Podcast. I'm so grateful that you've joined me yet again as I continue my journey of curiosity of all things creative operations. This is our kickoff episode in the AI Creative Operations Wave series. I'm doing this in partnership with Juliana Vale of Dream.ai. Juliana is the ideal partner with me for this series. She's a creative operations expert with over 18 years of experience. More importantly, she is such a fountain of knowledge and hands-on experience and having taken each wave of technology that's come at her through her 18 years and figured out how to unlock the value from it. And she's doing the same thing now as artificial intelligence is hitting all of us. We actually did this as a live recording or webinar. So one thing I want to point out is that I'm going to be recording a takeaways episode, just sharing some of my follow on thoughts that I've had in the days since we recorded this. I'm going to be dropping that on Monday. So whether you attended the live webinar or you're listening to this for the first time, make sure you head on over to creativeops.fm and subscribe so that you don't miss that takeaways episode. And I also want you to remember that as you listen to this episode and you're surfing your own AI creative operations wave in the days, weeks, months ahead, and you've got questions or want us to explore something in particular, maybe a challenge or an opportunity or the implications of those, well, drop me a line at nishcreativeops.fm. That's nish, N-I-S-H, at creativeops.fm. Would love to hear from you and the things that you're dealing with that you're curious about when it comes to AI. So what are we doing in this series? Well, we want to shed light on AI, on the impact, on the possibilities, both on the creative and the operations side of the creative operations equation. And we're doing that both for ourselves and by extension for you. We're really approaching this with the spirit of thinking and sharing out loud. It's our hands-on experience, our ideas, our perspectives, and it's really all a work in progress. We're all figuring out the new math of what works and what doesn't work in this new and quickly evolving AI era. I think we can all agree that while this new era is exciting, at the same time, it's daunting. We can't really apply the same old playbooks and best practices and been there, done that history. We can learn from it, but this is different. The scale and speed of the change that's starting to come at us feels different. It is going to be different. In this first episode, we really start the journey into how AI is starting to change the creative landscape. And I have to say the audience was amazing. They were active right from the start. They were prompting us with their questions for where we took the conversation. So again, like send us your questions, send us the things that you're curious about, the opportunities, the challenges. Again, the audience was amazing through this. They really dialed up the curiosity quotient as they're searching for answers, while Julianne and I are also searching for answers. And again, we're doing this by thinking and sharing out loud while we're all figuring this out. So with the audience acting as a very active third guest, we get into a whole bunch of topics. How is AI reshaping creative workflows and processes in organizations? What are some of the keys to successful AI adoption? 
How do you think through aligning AI implementation with organization goals and how our roles in the creative world starting to evolve? And we get into an interesting discussion on how creative roles are starting to, and we may see an acceleration of how those roles are starting to merge into each other. And also touch on how digitization of content is really starting to accelerate much more with the AI or the potential is starting to be there. In future episodes of this series, we'll continue to share our hands-on experience and observations from the trenches of what others are trying, learning, what we're trying and learning, and how we're all adapting and surfing this AI wave that, that we're all on. It's the wave is here we could either decide to get on the surfboard or get pulled under by it. And through this, we're, we really want to continuously shed light on the state of AI in creative and creative operations. Again, both sides of the equation and highlight changes that are and will reshape creative workflows, how we think about the operation side of things. And really for Julianne and I, with you, the audience's active third guests with us, to discuss and debate the possibilities and potential implications to us as individuals, teams, and organizations as this new breed of technology continues to evolve at, quite frankly, an astonishing pace. So join us for this first episode as Juliana and I get onto our respective surfboards and start to surf the AI creative operations wave with you. I've really been excited to do this for a while. Juliana and I have known each other for years. She's one of my favorite people in the creative operations space. And I think the ideal person for me to have this conversation with, Juliana, as you and I have talked about, this is sort of the first in a series of conversations we're going to have about AI. AI is going to change everything. And that change is going to continue to unfold over the coming weeks, months, years so. This is the first in a series of conversations that we're going to have. And you're the ideal person because you are a creative operations expert, over 18 years experience. You were recently with Farfetch, a very well-known and respected global online luxury platform known for how efficient and effective they are in operating. And you went in there and you're part of the team that basically took a blank sheet and developed and implemented a whole bunch of innovative and AI-based solutions, even before ChatGPT showed up and hit us all in the face. You've long been a leading voice around how to approach AI and how to start to integrate that as part of your creative workflows and start to make yourself more efficient, to free up time, to focus more on that creative work. And you've brought that experience and expertise to your current role as the managing director of Dream.ai and you're leading an amazing team there. And that was one of the reasons I want to have this conversation with you because what you're doing at Dream.ai is you're actually working with organizations and bringing your own experience at having developed creative workflows over the last 18 years mm -hmm. and starting to really break down those creative processes and workflows and understanding where and how to apply AI. And I think that's going to be valuable for us to talk a little bit about today, because one of the things that seems to be tripping a lot of people up, all of us up is 
the enormity of the statement of AI is going to change everything. And in the face of that, it's often hard to know where and how to start. So to set the table, today we're going to be talking a little bit about your point of view, your experience, how you go about thinking through that. We'll talk a bit about how are you starting to see creative roles change. And we'll do a little bit of crystal ball gazing. What are some of the things that we might be in store for over the next 12 months? We won't go past that because everything is crazy. <laughs> it's knows? changing so quickly. But to kick us off before we really get into the meat of the discussion, I would love to hear from you as a creative operations expert to give us a little bit of high level context. What's your definition of creative operations? First of all, Nish, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I really enjoy the past ones and I'm very honored to be here talking to you. And thank you for all the kind words as, as well. I think one of the most interesting pieces of your podcast is having people define creative operations because it's so different depending on who you are, what organization you've worked in. I was actually talking to somebody who's completely outside of our industry and trying to explain what it is that I do. But the way that I explained it is that creative operations is almost this like Thruple relationship between creative content making, project management, and supply chain methodology. We all talk about like the people, the process, the technology. I think that's foundational to how we manage the operations. And I think for me, this supply chain methodology comes in because I've worked in very large scale organizations. I've worked in businesses that have very small margin, which puts a lot of pressure on creative content making. And so I think that has driven a lot of the need in my career, in my past, the focus on measurement, metrics, continuous improvement. You talked a little bit about Farfetch, but that was certainly core to how we manage it. Of course, balancing out the need for quality, the people management, and making sure that we're taking care of our people throughout all of that. I love that definition, especially the highlight on the supply chain part of it. That's something that you and I and others have been talking about for years. And it really seems to be taking root as creative operations teams and creative teams are tasked with producing more and more content to feed the marketing beast. And that appetite certainly isn't diminishing it. If anything, it's growing. And that's a good segue to start into some of our main topics today around AI, because certainly creative operations seems like it's been firmly rooted for the last 10 years in the pursuit of scale and speed. And it almost seems like AI is about to give us some easy buttons or magic buttons where we can scale to infinite and move at the speed of light in terms of content creation. But then there's still the need for storytelling and perhaps more so, and maybe we'll get into a bit of that. But from your perspective, help us understand where are we today with AI and creative operations? Yeah. So. I think of the use of AI in our industry in kind of three levels. One is how we manage our processes. How do we create that content? And then where is that content experienced ultimately? And so I think it's come into play in a lot, traditionally a lot more subtle ways. So how do we manage and measure? We've long worked with data scientists developing smart algorithms and how we manage and track our data. In the content creation space, this is where we've seen a lot of the Photoshop filters come in and maybe some of the computer vision and image tagging, for instance, in ingesting into a dam system. Certainly traditional methods of AI for product measurements. This is one of the projects that we implemented when I was at Farfetch. 
it's always existed in the background in a more subtle way where it's come to the forefront is with these generative technologies that we've been seeing causing a bit more of a disturbance and a lot of questions and there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of excitement around it. What I'm seeing right now in terms of talking to people in the industry, there's a broad spectrum of companies that are embracing it. They're looking at a lot of the emerging solutions. I think copywriting is an area where people are embracing the use of AI and QCing images. There's also a lot of people that are exploring the solutions that are coming up. They're doing proof of concept. They're doing pilot testing with a lot of the solutions, virtual model solutions and, and the outfitting solutions. But there's a lot of people that are a little bit more hesitant towards the technology. So whether or not that's about the data security of the solutions or they just don't feel like it's the right time for them to embrace AI within their organization. I was talking to someone who said that they had actually turned off all the AI functionalities in Photoshop. So actually turned off some of the content aware fill just because they didn't want to undermine kind of the proposition that they had with their customers. There's a broad spectrum of how people are, are thinking about these technologies within the industry. One of the things that we see out there is there's an explosion of these AI tools. A lot of them are different degrees of the same thing, but every day there's a whole set of new AI tools that hits the market. And mm -hmm. ironically, AI is actually making it easier to make new tools and make new software. It's like a beast that's feeding itself. Let's say I'm in an organization that, you know, my legal team is on board, my IT team and CIO are on board. So we've got like carte blanche to figure out how AI is going to fit into your world. So if I'm the director of creative operations at XYZ Corp, and I've got a team of creatives, project managers, other roles that I'm really responsible for making sure that they're able to bring their best selves to their work and their job, and that collectively we're able to have the biggest impact on the desired outcomes of the organization. How do I start to think about where do I pick and choose those spots? This has been my experience in the past, is that there's a lot of noise and a lot of excitement around AI and innovative technologies in general. And you need a way, and, and what my experience has been, is putting in a structure in a way to organize them and understand what your underlying, what your underlying goals are as an organization. And so often that comes out of some brainstorm of what are, you, what are you actually trying to achieve with the use of these technologies? So are you trying to create more content? Are you trying to be more efficient? Are you trying to improve the quality? Are you trying to fuel new customer experiences out there? It's not like you're just going to press the AI button and it's just going to expand across the organization. I think you need to know exactly what your goals are. And then I think also it's important to align with other pieces of the organization as well and know who else is the stakeholder because implementing AI just within creative operations may have implications outside as well. So you may need to incorporate your tech or IT team to understand the infrastructure or your product team if you're putting out new and novel types of content into your marketing channels or your retail channels. I hate to say it, but it's kind of like good old-fashioned project management, <laughs> quite honestly collecting all the ideas, putting some prioritization to it, 
understanding what's going to give you the most benefit and, and what's most meaningful to your organizations. For us at Farfetch, when we were looking at a lot of these technologies, there was two aspects to it. It was how do we optimize our content? So how can we increase the level of, of quality of what we're producing and create more content? And how do we actually create more content without adding extra costs? And so that became the basis of how we almost bucketed the, the projects and measured their success. Then it came down to business casing and understanding what it is that we were trying to achieve. How are you going to measure the success of a lot of these projects? And then how much budget can you allocate to them and allocate to the testing and, and the experimentation? And then just following through your sort of standard rollout of a project. It's still very much firmly rooted in what do we need to achieve as a business? Yeah. And then you work backwards and a couple of examples you cited was about how do we improve quality? And then how do we increase scale without necessarily increasing costs? And how can we leverage um, AI to do that? I've seen that myself in a lot of organizations. Their experimentation, their proof of concepts really starts with rooting it in what are we trying to ultimately achieve? Yeah. What's a business imperative? And then for each task, let's say it's for somebody on the creative team or the project management team or whoever, whatever role it might be, for each task that they then try and either put it in the machine bucket or human bucket. And what mm -hmm. I mean by that is if it's a task that they could describe step-by-step, step, almost like they could create like a easy to follow training manual for somebody else to step in and do that task or outsource it or try and find an AI tool to do it, then that's where they're targeting their experimentation and proofs of concepts is, yes, a lot of our jobs have tasks that are very much machine-like, and that's where we should be thinking about experimenting with and getting comfortable with AI. And maybe in the face of that paralysis that we talked about at the outset, is that one way of approaching it? And are you doing that on the product side at Dream? It's a really interesting way to think about it, because I think a lot of the early AI definitions is if it takes a human one second to discriminate between certain information that something is ripe for the taking and in for an AI type of task. I do think that still so much of what creatives do is physical, particularly in the e-commerce photo studio space. When we look into the three to five year plan, what is likely to be digitized and what is likely to still remain as a human function? If we just break down nutritional photo studio, the the background, the lighting, the styling, the photographer, all of the assistants that go with that, the model, the actual physical clothing, the way that I'm thinking about it is not necessarily in the roles that are existing right now, but the different components that make up the type of content that we're creating. For instance, thinking about the background is one element, the clothing is one element, the model is one element. Then there's how that comes together with the lighting and the styling and all of that. And so what is easily digitized in that context and then what is not easily digitized in that context. So rather than as a traditional product management, you would think about, OK, what is the user journey or what is what are the roles within this? And it's switching that and flipping that and saying, what are the components that we're dealing with and how could we work with 
or manipulate those different elements. There's three ways in which listeners can come at it and get past that paralysis. One is clearly defining the problems that you're trying to solve for. Sometimes those aren't known, but that's one way to approach it. Two is breaking down roles into what's the machine work and what's the human work. And then the machine work is surface space to think about, oh, is there an AI tool that we can outsource this machine work to and start to experiment and do proofs of concepts with? And that might be a way to do it more on a broad-based nature and allow the team to start to get comfortable with. And then three is start to think about the different elements of what you're producing along the way. And is it likely to be digitized? And I want to come back to that point. And can I just riff on your second point there about like the machine and, and human? And I think another way to look at it is can a machine do something that we don't currently have the capacity to do internally either? So we would like to measure garments and and have more measurements of our garments that feeds into a fitting solution, something like that. And so we just don't have the physical capacity to be able to do that or the human capacity to be able to do that. So it's thinking about that as part of it, too. I'll put that in a fourth bucket if I can. Uh, What are the things we would like to do, but that weren't possible yesterday that might become possible now? And that sort of highlights one of my pet peeves with the way I see most organizations approaching AI, even the ones that are past the paralysis and are starting to do experiments. And I think most of us are thinking about how do we apply AI to the surface space of what we did yesterday and what we do today. But I think of AI as new elements on the periodic table, and we should be thinking about them as I've got these new superpowers and what can we do with them to create new possibilities. I think that's where the most exciting space is going to be after we get past this. Oh my God, everything is going to change. And yeah, everything is going to change, but we should welcome that because we're going to get to outsource a lot of that machine-like work that we do that probably bores us. And then we can have that time back to focus on the more creative work and the dreaming up the new possibilities where we're going to leverage AI to make them realities and fueling experiences that we can't even think right now so if you actually have content that is infinitely flexible it actually starts to fuel who even knows it's not going to end with tiktok people it's there's something beyond tiktok right what's that next ai enabled social retail experience i don't have an answer for that but having our content be infinitely flexible will allow the fueling and enable a lot of those future experiences. The unspoken barrier is for whatever reason, we believe what we do today and the experiences we create today are the end of the road. And now AI and the machines are going to come in and do that for us. And the reality is we keep creating stories of what the future can be, of what the new experiences could be, the new ways in which brands are going to communicate with and engage clients. And I think, if anything, we should be excited about AI freeing up our time from that machine work so that we do have that space to create those new experiences. That's why, like myself, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think you're in the same camp, we're optimists. There's going to be some chaos and carnage on the way to better (laughs) and new and innovative and fun, but ultimately... I think this will be in the service of the better. For sure. 
I, I completely agree. Let's get to a couple of these questions yeah. here. I'm going to ask one that Sharice posed. What if a company doesn't even know what the underlying goals could be when it comes to implementing AI? Are there any tools, resources that can help direct those companies that are sort of stumbling along in the dark? We've already touched on some of this, but breaking down roles into the machine work and the human work, I think is a great way to start where I've seen a lot of organizations. It's helped them start to move down the path and find where to experiment. Anything else to add on this, Juliana? There's a bottoms up or a and a top down approach. The top down is understanding what are the largest talent challenges within your organization and what is it that your organization is trying to achieve. So a lot of organizations are trying to build the top line and they're trying to generate revenue. So that might change what you're doing. So that might be, we're trying to engage more people and more content and create more content, right? It could also be the stark reality is there's a lot of organizations that are struggling and they're trying to reach profitability. And so you're looking for solutions that could shortcut or how can you do more with less? So I th would say that's a top-down approach, understanding the, the bigger organizational challenges and how could you solve Probably the easier approach would be the bottoms up and having people explore and start to experiment with some of the solutions, doing some small tests. In the past, when I've been working on these types of projects, like, let's just take 30 products or let's just do one, let's try one campaign and see how it goes. And then from there, then you can build on top of that. So, okay, we have success with 30 products. Let's do 150. Okay, we have success with 150. Let's do 500. And so you build up kind of an, an on-ramp of using the new technologies and exploring what their, their results could be. You used the word explore a couple of times. I think mm -hmm. that is so key right now. And my point of view is every company, mm -hmm. experimentation shouldn't be something that's done in the corner by one person. It should be something where you try and get your whole team engaged yeah. in it. And I think Julianne is highlighting a couple of good ways to do that. Let's try it on like a mock campaign mm -hmm. or something like that. I've seen a couple of companies do AI hackathon or AI days where the goal is to use AI tools to almost stand up this fake company with a website and an email marketing campaign and images and all sorts of other things. And it's a great way to make it fun and non-threatening to start to walk down that path. You could break down jobs into machine work and human work and find different AI tools to start to experiment with and then share the results of those experiments in an open and transparent way. I've seen a lot of organizations experiment with tools like Midjourney or other image generation tools. And I know those are the tools that immediately get people's backs up, especially on the creative side. Oh, we can just press a button and create these amazing images. I think the reality of what most organizations have discovered when they're using tools like Midjourney is it's not great for production ready work. But it's really good for mm -hmm. ideation. And I've seen some organizations then go, hey, this would be great as part of the creative brief process so that somebody could visually describe what they're looking for instead of trying to fill out this massive form and have a business user try and describe in words mm -hmm. what they're seeing in their heads. Instead, just use mid-journey and go, I'm thinking of this. And the creative team goes, oh, cool. Yeah. We know what direction you're going in. 
Next question is from Colleen. This is a good one. And what advice would you give to a senior brand leader who may be thinking of AI as a quick way to cut costs and increase <laughs> volume and output? Love this question because I think yeah. this is really hitting on a lot of the fear elements with it. Yeah, I think it's it's a deceptively simple question with a very complicated answer. I would say there is nothing quick, I think, right now about implementing AI. You don't just press the AI button or sprinkle some AI, AI on it and easily get to a solution that cut costs and increase volume output. One of this technology is fairly complex to learn and implement at scale. I think it's easy to be curious and play around with, but also for certain organizations needs to fit within workflows. It needs almost a whole separate production line, similar analogy of like you're a photo studio and now you're a video studio. It takes the same amount of kind of complication. So I would say there's nothing quick at the moment for implementing these technologies. It's similar to maybe the answer that we had about the project management aspect of this. It's maybe finding a champion within your organization and within your team that is willing to explore some of these technologies and understand how far it can be pushed in relation to what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I'll share a couple of different perspectives I've got on this. There's a lot of talk and narrative out there around we're going to be able to cut costs and people and things like that. There's <laughs> certainly been tons of articles trying to crystal ball gaze about this. The reality is we just don't know. I agree with you, Juliana. I don't think it's going to be as easy, especially in the creative space <laughs> of insert AI tool, be able to cut costs. There will be opportunities for that over time, but as you said, the, the tools are still not ready for production prime time. Yeah, you can't exactly. use mid-journey and scale it up. Any of you that have used it, you can enter in the same prompt and you're going to get like a different output. Exactly. So it's not going to align with your brand and things like that. But those tools are improving around adhering to your brand. The way I think about AI right now is it's really about augmenting what we're able to do. Uh, the whole idea of using Midjourney as an ideation tool mm -hmm. or as something that helps non-creative types better communicate with creatives, I think that helps you improve your workflow dramatically in a way that is a cost savings because instead of going back and forth multiple times with the business user requesting something from the creative team, maybe you're cutting that down by 50%. Yes, it is cost savings that isn't showing up in terms of you return money to the org, but you're able to move faster. You're able to produce more. I think that's a way to think about it in, mm -hmm. in the short term. Um, mm -hmm. And part of that journey will then be, how do we start to evolve today's roles? What does today's project manager become as AI agents and tools start to automate a lot of the coordination work? What is today's creative become as tools become much more sophisticated and it's mind-blowing how quickly they're adapting as these tools today are starting to be used in some hacked ways like the mid-journey example mm -hmm. what do you see happening to creative roles i think we're going to see a bit more of a shift and part of it is going to be ai as a factor in the content creation process some of it's going to go also to what i was talking about before about the digitization of a lot of the content that we're making. So coming out of the 
physical realm and going more into the digital realm as well. So I would anticipate that there'll be an easier barrier of entry into creating a lot of this content. I went to photography school. I studied silver halide crystals and was in a dark room for who knows how many hours. And then digital photography came along and completely transformed the way that we worked, opened up the opportunities for e-commerce and a lot of other channels. Now photography is easier to accomplish, but it doesn't change the level of output that we're actually creating. I think it'll shift the rules sort of upstream in terms of we're going to have more editors, art directors, people who are making more of those discriminating calls rather than focusing on some of the more manual work at the beginning of the, the process. I think we'll also see some roles merge together where in a traditional photo studio, you have your photographer and you have your stylist and you have an art director and there are all these very segmented roles. You may see some blending with some of that, like a photographer slash stylist working in a more automated way, or maybe it's an art director stylist. We may see some of these roles combine where Previously, they were very distinctive. I think your point about roles blending is a very good one. And that, and for the team leaders, part of your opportunity and responsibility, as you think about working with your team to break their jobs down into that machine work and human work and experimenting with AI for the machine work, the next phase of experimentation that I've seen some teams start to think through is how do we augment and become the 10x version of ourselves by partnering with AI? And I'll, I'll use marketing roles as an example. What Juliana is hitting on is that there are so many specialist roles in every creative and production workflow now, and you've really got to go deep. But if you've been playing around with these AI tools, what becomes quickly apparent is that you can ramp yourself up pretty quickly on other capabilities now, because you've got this partner with you that is just available 24 seven. So if you're a marketing organization, let's say you've got your SEO specialist, your social media space specialist, your digital ad specialist. Well, tomorrow that social media specialist or pay-per-click specialist might be able to go, I can partner with an AI tool that can learn and know everything and teach me very quickly. And do I become more of a Swiss army knife marketer where I could do multiple things? So that's one of the things that I'd encourage that people listening today is to start to think about how do roles start to blend? And the next phase of that is what might be the impact on org charts down the road? And I think that's fascinating and really highlights the, the need to start to experiment and do it across the entire team. You talked about potential effects on the roles on the creative side, and we'll see how quickly those types of changes start to happen. We might be surprised by how quickly. Let's talk about the operation side and get to a question that Paul Nicholson has been asking. So he's asking, what other tools are you using or excited about as it relates to analyzing different metrics or KPIs you're tracking against? So is there anything there that the creative operations leaders or team leaders should be thinking about using? Because data and metrics has been incredibly valuable yeah. to you and you've been a huge proponent, but it is one of those things that actually isn't leveraged all that much across the creative operations world. There's a lot of emerging co-pilot tools that are existing out there where you can actually either use natural language, so it's incorporated into 
the Microsoft suite, I think Google is starting to incorporate it within theirs. And even ChatGPT, you can upload some data and immediately gain insights to it. Now you have to direct it a little bit. But one of the things that I am certainly hearing is that nobody wants to ever wants to touch a spreadsheet ever again. A lot of the creative operations leaders are looking for some tool to actually automate the insights that they're getting within their operations. So it's something that we're certainly thinking a lot about at, at Dream is how do we enable that for people that are, are managing these processes. Where I've seen it be successful, so Shopify actually now has a natural language co-pilot that exists alongside sellers. So you can actually type in, say, why were my sales up in March? And it'll give you uh, a response. Oh, you had more sales in the West Coast with women. So then you know that you can go invest further into that channel. And so I would imagine that there's going to be a whole suite of tools that are similar to this, that anything that you're using to gain insights or manage your operation will have some sort of component to it that is like a co-pilot to gain insight. Most creative ops leaders aren't using that data. And I think it's a whole bunch of like unfortunate lost potential mm -hmm. value. But as you highlighted, you can now start to feed this data into ChatGPT if you have the plus version, which is mm -hmm. $20 a month. And I use it both for personal data use cases as well mm -hmm. as professional data use cases. And it's like having a 24-7 data analyst in a box available to you for $20 a month. And this is something I've been nerding out about a lot. So it sort of highlights, yeah, AI can be scary in terms of the speed at which it's moving and the scale at which it's going to create change. But just this one example of, we all now have a data analyst in a box available to us 24 seven for $20 a month. That's pretty amazing. So Christian is asking, what experience do you have with teaching and training our talents for the use of the machine, self-learning courses, schools, guest speakers, learning by doing? Juliana, anything else? I think we're all learning as we go. There are some courses on Coursera and other platforms that, that you can learn. Quite honestly, I think it's going into YouTube and watching people go through the process, seeing how they're prompting. And there's another site called Prompt Hero where you can actually see the images and it shows what prompt went into that. But I certainly think this is going to be a new field of study and a new field that people will likely want to invest into as the technology evolves. I think it's still so new and novel and it's moving so quickly that if you're learning the prompting system now, it feels very complex and heavy load to get what you want out of it. A year from now, it's probably going to become way more intuitive and, and way easier to use, especially as the in-painting and some of the other functionalities start to, to evolve as well. So shortly, YouTube's a great resource. And yeah, looking at some of the courses that exist out there as well and seeing what people are actually doing with it. Prompting is interesting in terms of should we be taking a course on it? Is that a role? Is prompt engineering a role? And I think, again, we don't know. How this is going to evolve is probably where to start. Again, experiment, get comfortable building prompts, and it's an iterative process. I'm sure as you've heard many other people talk about, your ability to get good value out of any AI tool you're using is about how good you're at prompting it. I really liken it to 
If you're a good manager working with your team, making sure they clearly understand what the objectives are and mentoring them on how to get there and learning as they go, learning from their failures, learning from what worked and getting incrementally better, you're probably going to be naturally inclined to be a good prompter because you're going to learn from each prompt you get mm -hmm. put in and what you get back and then go, okay, how do I improve this prompt? But to Juliana's point as well, I think a year out, tools are already starting to get pretty good about making the prompts you put in better. I use ChatGPT to create prompts. It's the beast doing some of its own work and making it easier for me. And not to go too much into the complex or technical, but a lot of what you're seeing in terms of successful outputs of AI in terms of marketing campaigns or production, it's the layering of a lot of different tools. So it's not somebody just working in MidJourney or just working in Adobe Fly or Fly or any of these solutions. There's solutions control net called Laura that allow you to retain specific qualities of imagery or of, of the prompts. And so there's a lot of complexity right now that I think is going to be simplified. But I do think it is good to educate on kind of the baseline of what a lot of these tools are capable of. And just to answer Holly specifically, can you recommend a good training class for prompt engineering? Juliana said it, tons of stuff on YouTube available for free. If you're looking more for something that's a bit more like immersive, in-depth, hands-on, like classroom style, maven.com has got a whole bunch of great options available as well as Coursera. A few people have been asking about copyright and things like mm. that in terms of using these tools. Before, Juliana, you step in here, I'll say neither of us is a lawyer. Yes. I've watched every episode of Law & Order, but <laughs> I can't go into the courtroom. So hold my opinion for a moment. Would love to hear your thoughts on copyright issues that everyone is grappling with yeah. and thinking through. It's really sticky at the moment. I would say in terms of the models, I think, unfortunately, like the toothpaste is out of the tube. I don't know with a lot of the larger models that they can necessarily untrain on copyrighted material. But I do think it is something that everybody needs to be aware of when they are incorporating these AI solutions within their organization, that some of them are more compliant with copyright rules and a little bit more beneficial to the content creator creators than others. And I think in this organization, you have to take a bit of a stance and you have to have a viewpoint on that. So whether or not you're using mid-journeys a little bit more open or a little bit more relaxed about their usage of copyrighted material, Adobe's much more narrow in terms of their usage. I think regardless it's sort of on the end user to make sure that they're putting out material and making sure that their material is not violating any fair use laws, meaning it's not representative of something else. You're not misusing somebody's likeness. So I think there's still a lot that's evolving in this space. Certainly, I think we can't wait for legal regulation to catch up, at least not in the U.S. Europe may be a little bit further ahead on this. But I think we are going to have to decide industry by industry what level of comfort we have with each of these different data sets and, and models that go into these tools. A few things to keep in mind. One is the copyright laws we have today are an echo of a time that 
if it no longer exists, it's quickly starting to dissolve. We've got all these new tools and capabilities. The copyright laws are going to take not months, but years to catch up. And there's already a whole bunch of court cases and these mm -hmm. things will get figured out. My one piece of advice to any organization that is using these tools, and if anything gets out into production work and out into the public, you need full and open transparency. Transparency should be the rule. Yes, we are using this tool to create this content, especially if you're an agency and you're doing client work. Transparency has to be part of it. Yeah. And you need to talk to your legal counsel about, do we need to update our statements of work or our master yeah. services agreement and things like that? So start with transparency. And then, yeah, as Juliana said, it's going to be murky. It's going to be complicated. So the final thing is, as we're starting this conversation about AI, Juliana, and we're all figuring out how is this going to change creative workflows, creative operations, and really everything, we're all learning about this. Nobody's got a crystal ball. I think we're all thinking about AI primarily as a tool for scale and speed mm -hmm. to automate more of what we're doing today. But if I'm a creative, I'm really excited about as we're creating more content that consumers are increasingly ignoring because there's a lot of it out there. I'm excited about partnering with AI as a co-pilot or whatever term you prefer to use as becoming a better storyteller. And as you said, creating those new experiences, I think there's a lot to be excited about there in yeah. terms of the new possibilities. If I'm a creative and even if I'm a creative operations leader to help enable that for my creative team. The idea that AI now for creating creative, specifically imagery, that it raises the floor, so it makes the barrier of entry easier, but not the ceiling. And I think we're going to see a lot of people at the floor. We're going to see a lot of people that are putting really crap content out there because they have access to all of these tools. Then is going to raise the bar in terms of the type of content that we put out there. I know that if you go onto LinkedIn right now, anybody can put out a thousand word posting on there. And I'm like, skip. But when you actually see somebody who's clearly put some thought into their post, you really want to engage with that. It's going to be a similar experience with the types of content. And then ultimately, I'm a creative, but also I'm a bit of a futurist. And just thinking three to five years into new types of content. I mean, we don't know the implications of the new Apple Pro Vision, right? Who knows what kind of content we're going to be creating. It just puts even more into the hands of the creative to up the game and really provide really quality content out there. It's like what you said about going from the photo studio dark rooms to the digital age. There's more photographers than ever before. Yeah. There's more bad photography, but there's also <laughs> more amazing photography yeah. Yeah. than we've ever had before. That's what we should be excited about is creating those new possibilities in the new future. You and I are obviously AI optimist, glass half full. There's going to be chaos and carnage. But last question, who's somebody you want to hear from on future episodes of the Creative Ops podcast? So the one I might recommend is Nima Abasi. He's a partner at Maison Meta. And they're a marketing firm focused specifically on creating this type of AI-generated marketing and marketing assets. He's really at the forefront in thinking about how all of these technologies are layered together to create these new types of experiences and 
this emerging aesthetic as well from out, out of a, a lot of these tools. I think he could be really interesting to talk to, understand the types of projects and his thinking in this space. That sounds super fascinating. All right, Juliana, thanks so much for doing this. Very cool. Thank you very much for joining today. All right, thanks. Bye. That's a wrap for today's episode. Remember to please do three things. Number one, head over to creativeops.fm and sign up for that companion newsletter. Number two, whatever your favorite podcast player is, please hit subscribe. Search for Creative Ops, all one word, Creative Ops Podcast. Make sure you don't miss the next episode. And remember, number three, this isn't just my journey of curiosity. This is our journey of curiosity about all things creative ops. So if you've got a question or maybe a different perspective about what you heard today, or maybe you just want to share something that you're curious about, drop me a line at nish at creativeops.fm. Thanks so much. And I look forward to catching you at the Creative Ops water cooler for next week's episode.